Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore. That's me. Welcome. I'm glad to be here, man. I am glad to see you. I am glad to be in the same room with you. Me too. I am really glad to connect with you about this thing we call a podcast. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a pretty cool concept. It is. It's a Dream Path podcast, man, of course. Yes, you've heard of it. I have. Okay, right on. <laughs> it's ingrained in my my brain. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, what'd you what'd you think of the Neil Preston episode? Man, what a journey that guy had, huh? <laughs> just the job in general of just being a photographer is 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 cool, especially if you have a, a really deep passion for photography. But to be hired on to shoot the most iconic pictures in rock history, come on. Dude, it it is <laughs> mind-blowing right how many places he has been in the world and the bands that he's traveled with and not just the bands that he's traveled with but the access that this guy had and it's not even just backstage access i mean you heard from the interview he is embedded with these bands Uh and it was a time when these tours were filled with debauchery and (laughs) craziness and partying just excess total excess and you in right before we hit record you showed me this magazine article about the led zeppelin tour and the set is a 747 that they bought yeah, it was a 747 they hollowed out and, and customized and called it the starship yeah and it was had a full bar and an organ and copious amounts of cocaine and just i think whatever you wanted you had on that plane oh man it's just, just a different era wasn't it oh it was i mean do you think people even do that anymore or can do that anymore? I I don't think so. I think it's a different time. Yeah. And it's probably a good thing that we're not in that era anymore where there's probably a lot of um, bad things happening. Oh, sure. Objectification of women, uh, you know, sort of the groupie culture, obviously uh, drug overdoses and deaths and a lot of lives ruined. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that lifestyle really defined the culture, rock culture at the time. Yeah. And, and I think it's an important part of the culture, whether, you know, without passing judgment on it, I think that that was part of the rock scene and you can't, you, you can't deconstruct it and pull that away and still have the same music. Right. If, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think it fueled it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, to talk to Neil Preston, I mean, first of all, let me tell you how I heard about Neil Preston. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasters, Mark Marin, oh, yeah. WTF, a while back, and he was interviewing Neil Preston. And I was like, okay, this guy sounds fascinating. So I listened, of course, to the entire interview and just recently sent him a note and asked him if he'd be interested in talking to me. And he said yes. And I couldn't believe it that he would want to sit down with me and, and share his story because the way I approach it is, is different than Mark Marin. It's two completely different shows and you know his approach mark maron's approach is he has a different lens that he looks at the world through so i think that neil showing up on my show you're going to get a different story mm-hmm. than you did through mark and it that's the way it turned out and we had some personal connections some common denominators in our lives that made it kind of interesting to oh yeah you know with cameron crow being his best friend and my dad introducing me to cameron crow in the mid 80s at that heart concert that was a nice 
connection that we had during the interview. Also, the fact that he met my dad yeah. on tour with Hart and knew him. He didn't know him as a friend, but he had run into him. And, and at the end of the interview said that he would actually look in his archives for pictures of my dad, who was, who was now deceased, by the way. Um, I hope he can find some. Me too. I, I, you know, there's, I love talking to, I mean, everybody I talk to by definition is someone I want to talk to. Yeah. Right. So there's a certain degree of excitement, enthusiasm I have for every guest, but Neil Preston was really special for those reasons that I just said that these, these personal connections that we had, plus I think you and I have just mad respect for the classic rock era. Oh yes. In general, especially like Led Zeppelin, Queen, Mm -hmm. and Bob Dylan and, and all of these folks that he took these iconic photos of and that you and I grew up listening to, but also seeing the same photos that Neil took of these folks and yeah. put, they, they made their way into Rolling Stone and yep. Billboard magazine. And, and so they're embedded in our psyche. Yep. They're embedded in our musical consciousness. And that's why I loved talking to Neil. That was great. I mean, I just, I, I thought that was very sweet of him at the end to offer to look through the archives, the heart archives that he said are like um, immense amounts of photographs. And I hope he does find some, some pictures, even if it's just like him off to the side or by a plane or something, it would just, wouldn't that be cool? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it would. So I'm going to follow up with him on that. Right on. Yeah. And another great thing about the interview with Neil is he is a storyteller. Oh yeah. Not only does he have these stories of every photograph and how Every photograph in the book, Exhilarated and Exhausted, came about. Yeah. But he has these stories that he shared on the podcast that may have never been shared on any other podcast before. That's true. You know, and and to listen to those stories from a guy that's been in the business for over 50 years is a real privilege. Yeah. And he had a Queen book come out last week. So, I mean, if you're a fan. I have ordered the book. Good. Yeah. So when it gets here, I'll share it with you. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And not to just be a plug on Led Zeppelin, but if you guys want to check out Music Spotlight's uh, magazine, they have a, a tribute to Led Zeppelin. And it's a really good, shows pictures of the plane, inside the plane. That's why I brought it to show Brian today. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was so fun. Hopefully, we can continue the momentum that we have in talking to these great guests and putting together these these shows that are so exciting. And I think they're really going to resonate with listeners. Right. Me too. So, uh, Jason, moving on to what you and I are watching and paying attention to, you told me about a documentary that you saw called Grass is Greener on Netflix. Oh, yeah. 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 And I watched it. Oh, good. Yeah, I watched it last night. What did you think? I, you know, it was, uh, I think it tried to accomplish a lot and it succeeded. You know, yeah. it really tried to capture the history of cannabis as it relates to music. Right. That's that's why I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. The jazz music culture. Oh, yeah. And and then it takes you all the way through the criminalization and the propaganda that occurred within our government mm-hmm. about marijuana. What I thought was fascinating, and it's a, it's a pretty wide ranging documentary, it covers a lot of different topics. What I, what I found fascinating is how they moved, the government moved from calling it cannabis to marijuana, mm-hmm. specifically to associate it with the Hispanic culture, Yep. to get it away from, this is a white man's drug, right. and to try to make it, well, try to make it an ethnic drug. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a propaganda move that is pretty insidious. It is. In our government. And uh, I did not know that about 
marijuana. There's a lot of things you'll learn about marijuana in this documentary and also the issues that surround marijuana. Mm-hmm. But um, I liked, you know, listening to Bob Marley's music throughout the documentary and hearing from hip hop artists and Snoop Dogg especially. Oh, yeah. Was... Uh, was pretty poignant. It was pretty baked the whole time, wasn't it? <laughs> Snoop is well. He's entertaining to hear. It doesn't really matter what the context is. If you put Snoop on a on a TV screen, he's <laughs> going to say something pretty funny and profound. Oh yeah. And uh, I th- I thought it was hilarious when he talked about. He's like, yeah, you put a thousand guys in a room that don't like each other and give them marijuana, and within minutes they're taking selfies with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says he put four motherfuckers that don't like each other in a room and give them one glass of alcohol and somebody's going to be dead. <laughs> and he, he said true. it a lot more, more poignantly than I did. It's but. true. Uh, what, what I loved about it, just right off the bat, talking about jazz music, I had no idea that the term jive was referring to pot. I didn't either. I mean, they talk about the reefer man, you know, Cab Calloway, uh, Duke Ellington. Right. You know, Count Basie, Louis Armstrong, and how Louis Armstrong petitioned the government to uh, be allowed to smoke marijuana because it was part of his craft. Yeah. And he got arrested outside of a club. He did. Yeah. I had no idea that that was happening in the jazz scene. Well, you had the, um, was it the director of the FBI back then? I think it was Harry, do you remember his name? No. Allsinger? Or I, I forget. Anyway, he was the one that made it that uh, black people smoke pot and go crazy. Yeah. And it's like, and all of this other racial stuff that they tried to pin on black people and Hispanic people to make it about race. And that's how they got it criminalized. Well, and, and it's not just something that happened in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Right. And they talked about it in the documentary with Trayvon Martin. That's right. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that George Zimmerman should have been convicted for murder, uh, for killing Trayvon Martin. I do too. But it was interesting in the documentary to hear how folks introduce evidence or tried to introduce evidence of Trayvon having marijuana in his system as some type of a defense for George Zimmerman. It's crazy. It's nuts. That's not even close to true. I mean, anybody who knows anything about marijuana and the effects psychologically and physically on folks who smoke it Mm -hmm. know that marijuana does not make you aggressive. No. If anything, it has the opposite effect. One of the one of the things, like the thing that you said that Snoop Dogg said, one of the things I've always heard, you put four guys together in a room with alcohol and then they'll beat each other up. You put four guys together in a room with marijuana and they'll form a band. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> another way of putting it. You know? Right. It's I've never seen anybody get aggressive on marijuana. Never. So it was it was pretty illuminating to see that discussion on the documentary and uh, and I think it's an important one. It's it's not necessarily the most well known documentary because there's so many out there, but it's nice that you have folks like Snoop that are on camera talking about it because he knows better than anybody. I mean, he used to deal drugs. Right. He knows what drugs are dangerous and which ones are going to bring people together, at least be nonviolent or, you know, drugs that are not going to contribute to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Marijuana is definitely one of those. Well, I think we're seeing, it, what we're seeing nationally, we have over the last 10 years is a decriminalization of, at the state level. Right. in various states, but we're still not seeing it happen federally. Uh, and I think that's going to be important to be able to move past the stigmatization that we're seeing with marijuana and really move on to more important issues. And also pardon 
and commute sentences of folks that have been serving time for marijuana charges. Yeah, many years. It's ridiculous. Yeah, some of them have been in jail for decades. And it's disproportionately affecting people of color, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for suggesting that documentary to me, Jason. Well, I knew you'd like it. What I've been watching lately is, uh, uh, I've been watching a few things on Netflix lately. One of them is Dave Letterman's uh, newest season of interviews. Oh, I haven't watched the new stuff, but I do like that show. Yeah. The first season that came out, I thought it was a little rough. Yeah. I, I don't know that he knew exactly what the show was or what it was supposed to be. I think Dave Letterman is fantastic mm -hmm. as a talk show host. And in fact, my first memories of talk shows were Johnny Carson, of course. Oh, yeah. And I had a TV in my room. I probably shouldn't have had a TV in my room <laughs> when I was a young kid, grade school and junior high and high school. But I had a t television in my room. And one of the things I would do every weeknight, every school night, was watch Johnny Carson and Dave Letterman. Yeah. And hands down, Dave Letterman, I always felt was the, the most relevant and talented person. Not to disparage Johnny Carson, but he was a little before my time. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, you know, the Ed McMahon sidekick thing. And it, it was more of an older person's show, I thought. It was. But Dave Letterman, uh, the fact that it came on at 1230 and not 1130, mm -hmm. it was almost like this show that was like a forbidden show and hardly any of my friends were watching it because it was on too late. But I, I loved comedy. Mm -hmm. I loved television uh, stars, film stars, uh, musicians, all of the folks that he featured were really formative for me in terms of like the worldview that I had and the folks that I listened to and, and looked up to. Mm -hmm. And I remember laughing harder at Dave Letterman than I've ever laughed at any other television show up to that point. Right. Consistently. Uh -huh. There was a time when he was on, he was on NBC and then he went to CBS. Is yeah. that okay? So yeah. when he was on NBC, Dave Letterman had a monkey on the show. Oh, yeah. Or two monkeys. Yeah. Okay. This might be on YouTube somewhere. I'm not sure. But he had two monkeys. And then the, the idea was that it was a tea party. Oh, I kind of remember that. Do you this. remember that? Something like that. And yeah. there, I don't know why this guest was on there, but she trained these monkeys to have a tea party. And then Dave Letterman got too close to one of the monkeys <laughs> and it tried to bite him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that he could impromptu turn a situation like that into something outrageously funny and still to this day i'm thinking about it like i'm still <laughs> laughing out loud thinking about these moments on his show so that's a long way of saying i love david letterman and during his first season on netflix i wasn't impressed yeah. i mean it was good it was good stuff but i don't know that he i don't know if he was trying to do a podcast that was filmed or and it was some some of it was kind of produced and and then it would have flashbacks to other footage in the middle of it. And I was like, what is going on here? I don't even know that the producers really know what's going on. I watched it and I, I enjoyed it. But this next season, this, this, uh, this last season that I've been watching, I watched the Dave Chappelle interview. Oh, wow. And it is great. Dave Chappelle is, I think, one of the top comedians over the last 20 years. Well, yeah, he's up there. He's, he's right up there. He might be the best in terms of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I love, because I'm a trial lawyer, I love watching people that are really good at telling stories because that's what we do as trial lawyers yeah we have to get up in front of a jury and we have to tell a story let me tell you a story about my client or let me tell you about the person we're suing you know that type of thing and it's difficult 
It's, yeah. it's tough to hold people's attention. It's difficult to sequence events. And how do you tell the story? How do you discover the story? And Dave Letterman is a master at this. And, and so is Dave Chappelle. So to see those two get together and for Dave to pull the story out of Dave Chappelle in this context was something to behold. Right. So you should, if you like Dave Chappelle, watch it. But he also interviews Lizzo and Kim Kardashian. And I think in the prior season, he, he had some pretty famous well, guests on there. Barack Obama was one Barack of them. Barack Obama, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tina Fey, I think was one of them. But um, yeah, they're not all fantastic, but this Dave Chappelle episode was great. I'll tell you about my experience with David Letterman. I, I was a lot like you in that I had a TV in my room when I was a kid. Yeah. So I watched things late at night when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. But I started watching Letterman, I think when I was about 13 or 14. So 83, 84. That's about my, yeah. About and time frame. I just remember he had this thing where he'd drop stuff off of a building to watch it explode. Oh, the you know, watermelons. Watermelons and, and yeah. light bulbs and. I thought that was great. He had the uh, monkey cam, uh -huh. if you remember. Yeah, the it, monkey would go throughout the- With the camera on it. Yeah, the hallways yeah. and the audience and everything. <laughs> and the whirling bowl of chili. I mean, he would, he would film things that were going fast and slow him down. Instant replay. Yeah, you I know, think I remember that. That kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And he was just, he had like the, the bookmobile. I don't know if you remember the bookmobile. What was the bookmobile? Gus was driving the bookmobile and this, this lady would talk about books that they're reviewing, like fake books. Oh, okay. I'll have to go back and look at some of that yeah, on YouTube. It, I just, it's all kind of coming back to me now, just different flashes of it. But he had some really great guests back then. And so he, I mean, he had awesome bands. I think mm -hmm. that was the first time I ever heard of Stone Temple Pilots. And he had uh, Eddie Van Halen would guest on there once in a while. It, mm -hmm. was, it was good times. Yeah, it'd be nice if they had some type of way to watch old Dave Letterman episodes, especially the NBC versions. Yeah. Oh, do you remember... When he uh, messed with uh, Bryant Gumbel and the Today Show people were filming outside Rockefeller Plaza. Oh, that's there. right. He would, he would do that. <laughs> You'd go with a bullhorn and, and mess with them <laughs> while they were shooting live. <laughs> yeah, he, he was such a genius. He still is a genius. Yeah. But I think he left at the right time. Yeah. The way that he left was appropriate and classy. And, you know, I think you have to leave when you're still at your peak. Yeah. Rather than like, oh, you know what? This guy should probably think about retiring. Right. Yeah. That's I mean, what he did. He did. Yeah. So um, recently, Jason, we interviewed someone, you may have heard of him, a little known act named Don McLean. <laughs> little known act. He sang this song, didn't make it very far, American Pie. <laughs> Not he never heard of it. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a guy that uh, I was intimidated to talk to, mm. and I'm glad I finally was able to connect with him. And that interview is in the can and it's hasn't been edited yet. So as you, as you go into the editing process for this interview, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, make it sound as good as I can. You know, I want, I want it to sound good. I want people to be able to understand what he's saying. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to treat it necessarily any more special. I want it to be as good as the others, mm -hmm. but I also want to be careful in that I don't, you know, mess it up in any kind of way because this is a special interview. Yeah. You know, Don McLean is a fixture in, in American folk rock history, you know, American Pie and Vincent. And, and to me, I, I grew up, my dad played that song all the time. He has the album. Mm -hmm. and so I remember hearing that from a very young age and it's been stuck in my mind. And of course, people have been ripping that song apart for decades, trying to figure out what everything means. And you'll never get that information out of Don, but there are people that have pretty much dissected that song pretty well. Yeah. I think if you go through, you can figure it out pretty easily. 
Yeah, that was it was nice to talk to someone that iconic and realize, just like I do with all of the guests that I talk to, that he is, at the end of the day, a human being. Mm-hmm. And he's no different than any of us, except for the choices that he made and the journey that he took right. intentionally. And that's what we all have in our lives is we have these crossroads and we have these decisions to make about risks that we want to take. What is the risk tolerance that we have for going certain directions in life? Yeah. And um, we'll talk about Don McLean's interview in a recap after it's uh, launched. And I'm not sure when it's going to launch yet. But um, one of the things that impressed me about Don was that he did take chances at a very young age. And he just threw himself into the folk music scene, even though he had a completely reasonable path as an academic. You know, he could have gone, you know, finished the college route, and he did. He got a degree, you know, going to night school uh, as he was performing and becoming a professional musician and songwriter. But really, what he chose was the harder path. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to, to make a living. Not, not just make a living out of music, but make a, an impact the way he did musically uh, that, that has reverberated and is still every bit as valid today as it was 50 years ago, oh, yeah. which is this American Pie song was voted just recently as one of the top five songs in American culture in terms of defining who we are musically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, the song's basically a history lesson. You know, you got to go back and look at it from the beginning and what they talk about. And of course, Buddy Holly, that's kind of what the reference is, the uh, passing of Buddy Holly yep. in February of 59. So. The day the music died. day the music died. Yeah. So that'll be fun to hear how that shapes up in the editing process. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Who do we have coming up next, Jason? Uh, we have an interview with Kylie Rothfield. Another musician. Yeah. She is a musician that I met down in Marina Del Rey mm. when she was performing one night. And um, I go into on the episode how we met specifically and, and how that resulted in this interview taking place. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool how little connections like that can result in interviews down the road. Right. And she, she was on The Voice. She was picked by Alicia Keys nice. to perform on The Voice. And also she was on a show called Songland in season two, which is uh, basically a reality TV show for songwriters. Mm who are trying to compete for a record contract, basically. And cool. She was so fun to talk to because she's kind of on the upward trajectory as opposed to Don McLean, who has had 50 years of I- I- iconic uh, influence within the music culture. But he's, he's definitely sort of on the tail end of his career as opposed to Kylie, who is in her 20s. And she's really making an impact and is continuing on it upward trajectory. So to talk to musicians who are in a different part of their career, I think is fun and it provides a little diversity in terms of the folks who we're talking to about music and how to make it in the industry. She's a wonderful musician. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll see that she's very bluesy. She's got a blues influence and she has this voice that's kind of bluesy, Yeah, um, but also has this pop sensibility too. So she's got a great she has great flexibility and sort of crossover potential to become a pop artist, even though I think her roots are in blues. Blues and folk, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the, the fact that she plays Epiphones and is sponsored by Epiphone, 
yeah. means that she's got some blues credentials. And she loves those hollow body too, or semi hollow body guitars. Right. She's also classically trained. She went to Berkeley College of Music. Mm. So she has these, she has a lot of street cred <laughs> in terms of like having this foundation of music in an academic setting, but also uh, working in Nashville, writing songs in Nashville, writing songs in Los Angeles, performing on Songland, performing on The Voice, having connections like Alicia Keys. So this is someone that is really creating little communities and support systems around her. These are folks that are going to help her become fully realized as an artist. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. So that's coming out next week. And uh, Jason, as always, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Brian. All right, brother. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>